Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer, and as always, I'm joined by my host, Max Carlin. Max, how you doing? I've been better, Ben, but uh, I'm alive and I don't have corona yet, so that's yeah, good. We're okay, and we're going to keep putting out content for the foreseeable future. And before we start, um, the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast is sponsored by Simply Safe. With home security, there's two ways you can go about protecting your home. There's the traditional way, where you wait weeks for a technician to do a messy installation that costs a small fortune, or there's the other way, Simply Safe. Simply Safe is everything you need in a home security system. It's award-winning protection, two-time winner of CNET Editor's Choice Award. So yeah, um, with all of the recent events, we figured an emergency podcast was in order. So Max, what the hell is going on? So as of, I don't know, about an hour ago, the NCAA tournament is canceled. Um, Which just from the perspective of a fan sucks. It's the probably the most fun event in sports. Um, It's yeah, it's it's a basketball fan's dream. It's just basketball all the time. Uh, and we just don't get it for a year. Uh, it really sucks. Uh, just from a human standpoint, I feel really bad, especially for like seniors who now aren't going to have that that last chance. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen any word about like some sort of emergency uh, uh, extension of eligibility, but I would imagine that's not going to happen. And no, uh, yeah, and that's just really unfortunate for for guys like I mean, look at like this great Kansas team. Like someone like Yudoka Azabuki does not get a you know chance to make a a title run, um, and that that really sucks, especially for guys who who maybe don't have a future in um, in professional basketball anywhere. Um, yeah, it's just the whole thing sucks a lot. It's obviously the right move. Yeah. It's something that has to happen. Uh, I think the, the NBA showed how even you know banning fans is not is not adequate because this is such a fragile situation where you have so much so much contact between these guys that you're you know in the case of of the NCAA tournament they'd be putting uh what upwards of like 1500 kids at risk it's just not you know it's not viable um but yeah it's 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 really awful from a college basketball standpoint from a human standpoint yeah like you said it's absolutely the correct decision i mean obviously this is horrible for fans horrible for the players horrible for everybody involved really but rather inconvenience um and and put these this season at a pause than risk further spreading this virus that we don't really know the full extent of yet so it's definitely the right decision but it's super unfortunate and just just in terms of the draft we have no idea what's going to happen if the draft is going to get postponed canceled i mean i can't i don't think it will but i mean i wonder if they do like just like an empty draft where they just call in picks i mean because that's the thing, the thing they can do. And like we've talked about before, I mean, in March Madness, there's always guys who end up popping off and get on mainstream radars. Like you look at Malachi Richardson, DJ Wilson, even like DeAndre Hunter last year. So that's going to be a huge change too. Not having that sample that is so important to a lot of main, mainstream draft concept producers. And even I'm sure plenty of scouts um, value this tournament super heavily. So that's going to be a huge change in just, the drafts the draft scene in general that we really have no idea what the full extent of that is yeah from my perspective from a scouting standpoint i i don't think this is a bad thing at all in terms of just like having a sample to evaluate guys with because like you mentioned uh i mean we're talking about this before we recorded someone like malachi richardson i think he went ended up going 16th no i thought i thought it was like higher i don't know yeah, um, or maybe maybe I'm wrong about that, but but someone who's out of the league after a couple years, yeah, that okay, that, that that's a guy who um who is you know 
wouldn't have had that rise without March Madness. I don't know that DeAndre Hunter would have gone fourth overall without being instrumental in, a, in Virginia's championship run. And just generally, I don't think the tournament is a good uh it's a good setting to evaluate guys in because it's so weird. It's so out of the realm of normal basketball. You have guys playing with no rest for several days. You you're playing on neutral sites. You're not, you don't have time to scout. It's just, it's a very weird setting that I don't think is conducive to uh, like faithful uh, representation of, of people's skills. So from purely an evaluation standpoint, I don't think this is a, bad thing i think it will actually probably improve the quality of, of evaluations what sucks though is is for people who are less insane than we are uh if you haven't been following the draft at all all year and i think this is the case for a lot of people that their introduction to a draft class will be watching the tournament i mean this stinks like especially with uh, the ncaa cracking down on the availability of games online people are just gonna you know in the mainstream have no idea who a lot of these guys are and I mean, hopefully we can help with that, but <laughs> we don't, we don't exactly have, have large reach. Um, and it's it just, I feel bad for fans who have a, a, you know, passing interest in the draft who are not as obsessed as we are because they're losing out on their one opportunity to really get to know these guys. Yeah. It's super difficult. And I mean, I guess I, I've seen some people make the case, um, make this case for like things like the combine, but I guess I kind of buy it here. Like it's just like seeing guys kind of thrive in like a less structured setting is worth something like guys who can, guys who can make the most out of like a, just a more chaotic environment and still play slow and prove that they can, can play. But just generally like it's too small of a sample. What like five, six games at the very maximum, most guys will get one or two. And like and teams and and mainstream guys based there and not even just mainstream draft analysts, just like the 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 general basketball fan. A lot of them like this is their analysis, and like people care about that, and people aren't going to get that. So I'm not really sure what happens. Also, I mean, we're going to see probably a lot less underclassmen declare than normal because this is a big stage for guys to break out and put their put their name on the map even if just to test the waters i mean there's not room for a guy like carson edwards to blow up in the tournament and end up declaring and end up going relatively high i mean that's just not going to happen this year so there's gonna we're probably going to see less underclassmen go it's going to be an even like the quality of this draft is going to decline even further because it's bad at the top depth is a strength but we're probably going to lose some of the depth too so it's just all around a bad situation there. Yeah, I, I it could make 2021 solve the the one problem that we have in 2021 is a lack of depth. It could it could turn that draft into something even stronger. But yeah, I mean this this doesn't look good for whenever an NBA draft does end up happening in 2020 because that's the other thing we don't know. We have no clue what what the timeline is on this, how the pre-draft process is going to work because I would imagine that you're not going to want to have guys traveling all over the country going in and out of airports and stuff um so i i don't know how that's that's the thing that that's so annoying about all of this is that we just don't know anything we don't know how how this um this virus is going to progress how the you know the spread will continue to grow and and we just don't know the timeline you know nba play is not resuming for at least 30 days and i'd imagine it's a lot more than that yeah um and we don't we don't even know how NBA play will resume. We don't know if there will be a regular season, a truncated regular season, nothing. You know, we've seen, like I don't think maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we I don't think anyone really expected that the NCAA tournament, you know, even a few days ago would be outright canceled. 
and and now it's it's you know it's completely gone. So who knows what will happen with the with the NBA uh, and how they'll fix this timeline because you know it's a, the NBA timeline is tight. It's it's you know ten days after the finals end, you have the draft, and then sh- uh, a week after that is free agency, and then a week after that is is summer league. Summer. You know, there's no there's no time. There's no padding. So it'll be fascinating to see how this is handled. Um, and yeah, I just, I don't, I have no idea what the timeline will be. Um, I'm curious, Ben, for you, for you and your, your preparation for the draft, what are you planning to do in terms of, you know, continuing your scouting? I mean, just, I'm sure I'll just keep doing, what I'm doing is just go back through old film. Um, I mean, we have quite a large sample for most guys. So I guess from a pure scouting perspective for crazy people like us who are going to take the time to watch as much tape as we can, we have almost a full season on everybody. So I don't think it changes too much from my perspective. Maybe maybe some more time to go back and look at past drafts and or players from past classes and look at older film just to just to improve our improve our knowledge of things like development and past trends and looking how looking at how stars became stars and busts became busts. I think there's potentially going to be more of that which is a good thing. I mean, it feels wrong to take any sort of positives in this situation, but that's definitely that's something that could improve discourse and improve all of our all of our abilities. But yeah, I don't think much really changes from a personal scouting perspective, except it's just it's just going to be so weird. Like these last couple of days, it's just like watching basketball has just felt kind of different. Like I don't know. Yeah, this it's funny awesome. that it's funny that you mentioned past drafts because that was the exact same. Um, inclination that i had that uh you know go back and look at these guys and and effectively scout them as we're doing it for the first time uh because i mean we're both we're both young guys um our our track record on this isn't that long uh so even someone as recent as like jason tatum i want to go back and watch him he has he has a stat profile that i think points to a guy who who definitely had stardom within his outcomes and um I'd like to certainly watch and find out what signs were there uh, that this this was going to happen, and I think that's something that could be really valuable uh, because you know it's it's really hard to go back and and track how you're doing on guys, and that's something that I that I might take the opportunity to do as well. Really dive in on on the rookie seasons of a lot of the guys from 2019. I think could be informative, uh, but definitely going back, I, I think this is a tremendous opportunity where like I mentioned the the timeline is so compressed when it comes to NBA stuff. And, and at least for us, you know, as soon as, as soon as the 2019 draft happened, I know you and I were both binging uh, 2020 guys and the same thing will happen next year. And so now to have an actual break in the games, you know, it's so overwhelming. Both of us are are full-time students uh, just trying to keep up with all this stuff. Having a break where we're not getting any new games is kind of, is weirdly kind of a blessing because there are there's so much basketball out there on the internet that um, you know having an opportunity to just catch up on it is is kind of nice. Um, yeah, I was I was I've already taken the opportunity to watch some some 2021 guys that I hadn't seen yet. Um, I think it, it can be a really beneficial experience for for a lot of uh, amateur draft people out there. Yeah, it's like maybe we'll go back and watch 10, 15 games from every prospect. I mean, that's the thing that this is going to allow us to do 
And uh, yeah, just go back and watching these guys. Like, we can look at a guy like Kawhi. Like, even go back as him. Like, how did Kawhi become just the mega, sh- the mega score, mega shooter that he did? I mean, just going back and refining our analysis, and like you said, watching 2019 rookies, seeing like really diving in. Because I know Max and I, uh, it's just hard to find time to watch NBA in depth with all the draft things we do. Besides the teams that we cover or support, I mean, it's just difficult to have an acute knowledge of all 30 NBA teams. It's well, not difficult. It's, it's impossible really. Um, so that's just going to be a good opportunity to go back, uh, keep refining our knowledge. And we will definitely have all of that content on the prep to pro NBA draft podcast. So stay tuned for that. We will definitely be doing some old draft stuff on this podcast in the future. I'm sure of that. So yeah, that's plenty of off season projects, but I guess the, the off season technically kind of starts now almost, which is really well, it's not wild to think about. It's so hard to know, and that's that's the whole thing. We we just we don't know anything, and it seems like at least a timeline will be coming shortly for for the NBA. An initial timeline, of course, those things are subject to change. Um, but just the yeah, the lack of information I think is pretty unsettling, um, and just I mean it's just not fun. None of none of this is fun, uh, but there's still basketball to watch, and uh, yeah, I mean there always will be. There's there's more. There's more basketball um, on the internet than one person could ever watch. Uh, I mean, like even the, if you go to like the FIBA YouTube page alone, there's more basketball than you could ever watch. Uh, and that's not to be like a, you know, up on a high horse saying that you know people shouldn't complain about the lack of basketball. I totally understand if someone only watches the NBA because they have an allegiance to one one particular team and they don't they don't care about about other basketball. But if you really do have a, a hankering for the sport. Um, there is, there's more FIBA than you could ever watch. There's more high school basketball than you could ever watch. There are old NBA games, uh, so much just, I mean, as, as simple as typing it in on YouTube. Um, so there is, there is basketball out there to watch. Unfortunately, there is no live basketball. There is no, uh, live NBA or, or college basketball, but there is basketball out there. Yeah, there's always going to be stuff to watch, and I do really feel for the NBA guys whose jobs are to report on these teams. I mean, for them, I mean, for us who were like pretty much our coverage is almost full time draft. The we'll always have stuff to cover, but for those guys, I mean, it's just really difficult because they don't have a beat to cover anymore. So it's just hard to switch for some people. But like, yeah, like Max said, there is plenty of basketball to watch. We're still going to have plenty of basketball coverage throughout the offseason as long as we can. So stay tuned to the Preps Pro NBA Draft po- po- Podcast, which again is sponsored by Simply Safe. Go to simplysafe.com slash team today and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash team. That is simplysafe.com slash team. And now we're going to go to our planned programming for today's episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the biggest swing skills in the 2020 draft class um so basically the premise is this class is super flat uh, i guess it remains to be seen um how flat and deep it will actually end up being but um there are a lot of guys that i think we both think could be among the best players in the class and um i think it makes sense to discuss what you know, crucial skills will determine if a guy flames out of the league or if he you know is among those those very best players in the class uh, and I think a natural place to start would be with uh, if he shoots guys. So guys who have who have a lot of surrounding skills, um, who would really be unlocked as as big time players if they develop the ability to shoot. And you know, to the extent of that is 
is up in the air, whether it's just shooting spot ups, I think that would change the equation for a bunch of guys. Or of course, if guys get um, their you know, pull-ups going, then it, it's a totally different, uh, different equation. And you could have some real, I think, star level players. Uh, I think the most obvious guy to talk about when it comes to, to if he shoots prospects would be Isaac Okoro, uh, the Auburn wing about, Six 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 seven, not six seven, probably six six. Um, strong, great finisher. Uh, shows flashes of touch around the basket. Um, pretty dominant defender. Who has take? I think we mentioned this on the first podcast. What was it? Fourteen uh, catch and shoot half court jumpers this year that he's made. Not um, great. Yeah, the shot is 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 not good. The free throw percentage is not good. It has always been a huge problem. Um, but Isaac Okoro, if he learns to shoot off spot ups, I think would be a really pretty high level starter on the wing. But if the pull up ever comes, you're talking about a guy who whose skills would compound in a way that would make him one of the best players in the class without a doubt, because he has such impressive passing ability for for a wing player, um, especially working off the dribble. He he's improved his handle a lot since since um since last year even uh to the point where he has some dribble moves now and he's just a lot more comfortable passing off the dribble so there, like a problem for him in high school would be that he, he's capable of making these pretty high level reads so you'd see where he'd he'd curl into the lane without the ball and he'd catch the ball and then on the move he could deliver a, a really impressive pass but when he was encumbered by his handle when he had to try to gather the ball to deliver the pass he couldn't do it and it wasn't a problem of of this guy doesn't have it mentally he has that star level decision making in place but it was just a lack of coordination with the ball uh and we've seen that improve already and now if he's pressuring the defense with the threat of a pull up i mean this is a guy who's who, the value of these skills can compound in such an exponential way i mean he could be a, a, a true star and like very easily i think the best player in the class if if he were to ve- to develop a, especially a pull up but even even with a, a, a like a reliable spot up jumper Isaac Okoro is one of the better players in the class yeah i think i don't think he really even needs the pull up to be maybe even the best player in the class cuz like you said i mean the pull up is obviously his his superstar level outcome and i think if he gets even semi reliable shooting pull ups he's probably a top 25 20ish kind of player with a defender and the playmaker we expect him to be but just having that that threat of a spot up opens up so much cuz i mean as we've seen it has as our friend and noted cop Zach Milner has talked about <laughs> over and over um SEC teams just kind of stop guarding him on the wing and that hurts him a lot because one of his great utilities as kind of an off-ball threat is being able to attack closeouts and create advantage situations and then with his excellent decision making and his vision he can then find passes out of those close out of those closeouts, and even if his spot up is somewhat reliable, I mean, that's going to be something he can go as long as he can force NBA guys to close on to close out on him and not just ignore him. He's going to be able to use that passing. I mean, we see lots of guys add pa- add passing as an off ball threat. I mean, he doesn't need to be this on ball pick and roll playmaker to be a serious threat. And so as long as he can be a guy who um who can shoot spot ups. I think he can really unlock one of his higher end outcomes, which is which is which is a consideration to to think about for me and why I still have him top ten. I feel like a lot of guys, even on draft Twitter, are kind of falling out on Isaac Okoro, and I don't think it's really responsible to to I don't, I don't think it's responsible. I don't really agree with 
letting him fall that far because uh, developing just a spot-up jumper isn't that difficult. We've seen plenty of guys with not super great shooting indicators develop reliable spot-up jumpers in the NBA. I mean, just look at a random guy like, I don't know, Brooke Lopez, who who is who became even an elite three-point shooter just for a year. Um, so just having that, like, uh, spot-up jumpers, like I'm saying, is one of the easiest skills to develop. I'm not saying it's easy. It's certainly not easy for a guy to go from a poor or non-shooter to a threat, but it's a lot easier than, say, star-level decision-making or a, or a reliable handle or incredibly functional strength, all which Isaac Okoro has and has those super valuable wing skills. And like I said, Isaac Isaac Okoro isn't a non-shooter. I mean, his free throw percentage is like 67%, which is not great, but it's also not like abysmal. His mechanics aren't wonderful, but they aren't like Brandon Clark, Brandon Clark pre-Gonzaga. I mean, his, his shot... The shot base is workable. I think just looking at potential improvement, I mean, that's a skill that if he improves, he can pretty immediately reach one of his higher end outcomes, which is a lot which is a lot um, more reassuring than guys who maybe have more difficult skills that they need to develop, like like a decision making or a handling or even defense that. So just with with that spot up shooting, I think is the reason I'm probably gonna remain relatively in on Isaac Okoro. I mean, just 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 like in projecting development that's something you have to consider yeah i agree with the idea that if he can get to be an actual threat on spot ups like forgetting the pull up that that would be a, a real game changer for him but i don't want to i don't want to overstate how easy it is to get to a point where people actually have to close out on you because i mean there are so many guys especially at that size like like 65 6667 like guys who who will take you know four uh four or five threes per hundred possessions and shoot them at 35%. And that looks like fine on a basketball reference page. But in reality, I mean, that's a guy that the defense is going to ignore. That's not going to draw hard closeouts, which is what I think a Coro will need. Um, So I don't want to, I don't want to overstate how easy it is for him to develop to the point that he needs the spot up. But I do agree with the notion that if he gets the spot up down to a point where it is an actual threat, that that will transform his game. Uh, because he is he is a, an explosive athlete, um, and it, was, it, it really does. He has a, a collection of skills that would just compound with with the threat of a spot up, even to produce a, a highly valuable player. Um, and it's just it's an outcome that has to be accounted for, and a reason that I remain fairly high in Okoro, though, like you and much of draft Twitter, am cooling uh, a fairly significant amount as well. Yeah, so I'll segue um, with a question. Who do you, who shot do you buy more and why? Isaac Okoro or Denny? Denny Abdija. Um, Maccabee. Man. Um, it's a tough one. Probably Denny because of his willingness to take them. Like, Denny has a pretty quick trigger on them when he's played at lower levels like ANGT uh, and been the guy as opposed to with Maccabi on a really strong team as a role player. He's taken these really ambitious pull-ups. Uh, Denny's upper body is good on his jumper. I think it's it's mostly lower body issues. Um, I don't entirely buy Denny shot. I don't I don't buy Denny shot. I mean, it, and he has the the free throw issues. Though I think there are there are reasons to believe with him, especially just because of how intense and how down on himself he seems to get. That he the free throws are separate issues. That it's less of a mechanical issue and more of a a mental thing. Um, 
but yeah, I think I'm I'm more inclined to believe in Denny as a shooter. I don't I don't think he'll get there as a pull up guy by any means, and that's why I remain a bit lower on him. But as a as a spot up guy, I think he'll probably get to a respectable level, or or not even a respectable level. But I think he'll get to be one of those guys who's a a four or five per one hundred attempt guy at thirty like mid to low thirties. Um, whereas a coral, I don't know if he'll get there. Like a coral really might be a guy who doesn't take them and shoots 25%. And, and that's where the, the real, uh, scary outcomes come with him. But Denny, I, I think will probably be shooting to a point where at the very least he'll fool people looking at, at basketball reference. Yeah, I do think, uh, first I'll say, I agree with you. I think the willingness to take pull-ups is just really important. I mean, just like looking back at a young age, um, Young guys who take take a lot of pull-ups tend to do better shooting in the future. I mean, you look at a guy like like I like I mentioned him briefly at some point, but look at a guy like a Kawhi who had better shooting indicators, but none that suggested he'd be this god-tier pull-up shooter. And one of the things we can point to is that he took a lot of unassisted two-point jumpers, and Denny and Denny certainly has that quality. So just the fact that he's willing to take them and willing to put himself out there even if the results aren't so great i mean like said like the free throw the the free throw percentage is so bad i mean it's been in the 50s for years now and it hasn't looked to and signs of improvement aren't really there for him but just just like like i said i mean denny like a coro is a guy who just having a reliable spot up jumper changes a lot probably doesn't change probably doesn't change as much from a coro because i think denny probably projects better on ball than a coro and the, the pull-up's more important for Denny's role than it would be for a Koro's. But still, um, just like having the spot up obviously doesn't hurt Denny. It helps him significantly. But so yeah, that's that's a, that's something to consider when ranking a guy like Denny. I mean, how likely is it that he develops um, a jumper versus someone else developing their decision making? Personally, I think I think um, ranking. I'd probably just say still go a Koro over Denny, um, just because. Just, just because, like talking, thinking about role, um, a coro, like, like I said, a, it's it's a lot more difficult to develop a reliable pull-up jumper than a reliable spot-up jumper, and just thinking about what they need for their roles is an important consideration too. And Danny's gonna need more pull-up for his role, but yeah, I mean, it's it's not like it doesn't look great for both of them, but it's both of them are pretty young and have a lot of time to develop that. And in this draft with so much uncertainty, I mean, certainly not a bad bet to assume they'll develop something at some point in their careers. So. Yeah, I, I have a Coro higher, and I think I'm going to stay that way um, because I think that the shot is a lot more important for Denny. So I think that there's there's a miscon- there's at least in the with people who don't follow the draft closely, there's some misconception misconception with Denny where he's this um, you know, international white guy, and people assume that he's a shooter, and he's very much not. He's like a, a slasher. He is an intense defender, um, and the shot is a huge question mark. Um, and I tend to think that that Denny without a spot up is not really a tenable player in the NBA because while I do really like his defense, um, in, uh, in even in in Euroleague, a very high level of competition, I don't think that especially the team defense will translate up one to one because he doesn't have serious length. He plays with a lot of intensity, and I think is strong for his frame but his frame is not particularly good. He is not an imposing vertical leaper. So I really just don't think that the health defense impact is going to translate fully. And then on the ball, uh, he is fine laterally, I would say, but definitely not great. And I don't think is going to be viable on, on like high level NBA wings or forwards. Um, so I think that Denny will be like a, 
a positive on defense, but certainly not a huge positive. And if he doesn't shoot spot ups, I mean, he's going to be a considerable negative on offense. Like he'll always be a very good transition player. Uh, and he is, he is a, a skilled slasher. Like he gets very low. He takes like good routes to the rim for his size. He is a, a coordinated handler. Um, but he's, he's not going to be a dominant finisher. He uh, it just in the, in the half court, I don't think Denny is at all viable if he does not have a spot up. And therefore, like, I don't think his game on the whole is viable if he doesn't have a spot up. Whereas a Coro, I think he has similar issues with the lack of length. Uh, his, his vertical bounce is worse than it was um, in high school. Cause he's added a bunch of mass. Uh, but I think that there, are, you can sort of play a Coro as a big because he's so freakishly strong. Um, and I think that that lets you get away with some things and, and, uh, he could be a viable rotation player without the spot of really factoring in just because he can be he can be a playmaker on the short roll. He can score in the post. He's shown some some facility scoring out of out of isolations because he can just explode to the rim and he is a really dominant finisher in college. I, what is he like something like 70% around the rim? Yeah, um, something crazy like that. Yeah, so I think that Okoro yeah. is more viable if the shot so. Yeah, I think Okoro is more viable if the shot doesn't come around. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that I have him higher. But Denny is very interesting if you start to think about the, the pull-up coming into play because he is a really skilled passer, uh, both in transition, out uh, of uh, the post, and as a pick-and-roll operator. And if you have this guy who's a, a 6'9 forward, who's a skilled slasher, who is a, a you know, very smart pick-and-roll passer, who then can shoot pull-ups and can you know, threaten the defense like that, I mean, that's a really, really valuable player. So uh, maybe Denny with with a pull up is is a more um, compelling package, but just when you're accounting for all of this, you know, these range of of outcomes with both of these guys, I find Okoro to be a, a more compelling bet. Yeah, and I agree, and I think Denny has this rep as a very safe prospect, a guy who people consider just like a safe pick to be good, and I don't really agree from agreeing with you. I think the key the key thing here that you alluded to was just scalability. That Isaac Okoro, like even without a shot, can function in a variety of, of roles and schemes. But without without being on ball, I think Denny's value in the half court is neutered quite a bit. Obviously, he's going to be a monster in transition. There's like a mismatch pushing there with his Jokic-like outlet passes and like being able to grab rebounds and push. But like especially in the playoffs, that just becomes less viable. And Denny's someone who, if he doesn't have that pull-up, um. He's really just not going to be threatening on ball in the NBA without really plus athletic tools um, and the pull up, and so he's just going to be someone who is not who's going to have a who's going to have more trouble than someone like Cora would functioning uh, with lower usage. I think that's definitely important to um, to consider with just like having guys who can add value with lower usage. And Denny's a guy who I'm not sure uh, he's going to do that. Yeah, and I think that um, an assumption that a lot of people make is that a guy who is contributing in EuroLeague so young is a safe bet. And le- I mean, I agree with you fully. I don't think Denny is a safe bet at all, which is why he's he's consistently fallen for me throughout the year. Um, whereas someone like I, I, it's just it's just somewhere where you have to you have to consider it on a case by case basis because someone like Teo Maladon, six three six four combo guard, uh, playing for Osvel in in France. Um, you're, he is he's playing competent Euroleague minutes, and I do think that's a good sign for him uh, as as a safe prospect. Even though 
you know, he's not necessarily a dominant player, not, not a, like, I think not a prospect that either of us is particularly in on in that case. I think that, um, getting by in EuroLeague minutes as an 18 year old is a very good sign. But for Denny looking at the specific ways that he impacts the game, uh, I am a little questionable, uh, because of that, that defensive translation and because of just really like, I, I don't think that he's going to be a viable offensive player without the shot. Yeah, so those are the big ones, the the really big guys at the top of the draft. That if they shoot, if they shoot, their projections are totally warped. And but there's quite a few lower profile guys um, who have this same kind of problem. And there's a lot of guards who have this, who have this, um, have this conundrum. And even like even towards the top of the draft, um, you have a guy like Trey Jones or Devin Dotson who have just the, some skills that make them super enticing, but being small guards and not being able to shoot pull-ups at a high level is kind of a death sentence in the modern NBA for their, for their value. So, which, so there, there are quite a few of these guys that are going to be um, going to have a factor. So Max. Um, yeah, I think that I, I so something that I was looking at recently, just thinking about this class was, um, you know, the NBA's most impactful guards and they're literally all elite pull-up shooters. Like there is, there is no one who's even, anything below borderline elite who is is like a high level uh, impact guard i think that like drew is is probably the best at this point i guess like fully optimized russ but in the playoffs he sort of he tapers off a lot and i think that's an important thing to consider same with with eric bledsoe um so you really do need to pull up if you're going to be a high level guard uh, and there's, I don't think a ton of reason to believe in, in someone like Devin Dotson or, or Trey Jones having a high level pull up. Dotson is interesting to me because, um, of his ability to get to the rim, uh, and finish there. Uh, it, you know, if he has a pull up, he's, he's going to be really good. Um, and I think that's something that you do have to account for, but the odds of, of that being there don't seem super high. And if Devin Dotson is a guy who is one of those, like, three and D point guards at what, what do we think Devin Dotson six, one um, he's a, so he's a one position guard defender who will have to play off the ball. I mean, there are some situations where that guy is useful, but from an actual team team building standpoint, that's not all that useful of a proposition. Um, so I'm, I think a lit, a little bit lower on, on a guy like Devin Dotson. Um, I, I still have him in my first round because I think you do have to account for the the possibility that he really experiences some outlier growth as a as a pull up shooter, but it's not an encouraging bet by any means. No, definitely not. Any like defense is such an important thing to consider because even if these small guards or even positive defenders in college, like a guy like Devin Austin, like you said, he's what six one at most. It's just getting more even more difficult to become positive or even neutral defenders that size in today's NBA. I mean, how many guys are like actual impact defenders that size? I mean, you have CP3 and who's just a, a, a strength and IQ God and you have it's, a guy like Fred Van Fleet. Yeah. I mean, it's not that many. It's almost none. And just looking at a guy like Dotson who hasn't really shown the ability to guard up in college that it, it's, I struggle to, to value him super highly without the pull-up. And I mean, I mean, the free throw percentage is certainly encouraging. He's shooting, I think 80, 83% from the line now, and his touch is good, and he shoots quite a few of them. But, I mean, just looking at I, I talked about uh, uh, two-point jumpers. He's 17 for 69. That's not great. I mean, he's not really hitting those. He's not the best mechanically on tape. He has kind of a wonky transition from his dribble to his pull-up. And it's just it's overall just not the greatest package. And 
Mostly, Dotson is a very, very good athlete with a pretty great first step, gets to the rim at will, but he's not like a 99th percentile athlete. And that's kind of what he'd need to be for me to um, to have command like lottery or higher value. Or I said that also I should mention the playmaking, which is fine. I mean, he's going to have an easier time making reads because because of the rim gravity he's going to he's, he's going to command but he's just not that special of a playmaker and without the pull up really to pull defenses especially i mean he's just kind of i mean he's he, he's going to hit spot ups probably but how valuable is a 6-1 off point guard and not very i mean we we talked about not valuing these fringy point guards as much and if you're not a star point guard or if you're not like super duper exceptional exceptional off ball guy um defender at that size it's just hard to bet on and even transitioning to a guy like trey jones who i like more than devin dotson because i just think he's probably a tear up as a playmaker and a tear up as a defender and i'll talk about the unassisted two-point jumper thing again trey jones this season has done quite well in that area he's shooting um 62 for 162 on on non-rim twos, 38.3% assists. So that's pretty good as looking historically back at guys. I mean, and I think the pull-up just anecdotally has looked quite a bit better on tape. He's more willing to take them. He looks better when he's taking them. And just having that um, makes me more willing to bet on his pull-up. I'm interesting, um, who do you think is a better chance to be a pull-up guy, uh, Trey Jones or Dotson? I don't, I don't know that I can answer that right now. I need to go in on both guys a bit more. Um, my guess would probably be Trey because he's upped the pull-up volume a lot this year, um, and it, the effectiveness has been better. Uh, so I, w- I would definitely lean Trey, and that's one of the reasons that I have him higher. And le- I mean, like you said, the playmaking, I think it's a, a huge difference between those two. But, I mean, you mentioned Dotson's free throw percentage, and I think that is a good sign for him being a spot-up guy. But at least for me, I have a much higher bar for initiators where I'm a lot less willing to project shooting like that. That was a major concern with me for for jaw and i think it's something that we saw manifest uh as the season progressed a little bit with teams really you know daring him to shoot pull-ups um that you don't just need to be a guy who can hit spot ups as a true initiator you need to be a guy who can hit that pull-up and developing that is a lot harder like i mean like you mentioned earlier there are countless guys who developed into into competent spot up shooters but the list of guys who became your lethal pull-up guys. I mean, what it's like Kyle Lowry, that's the list. Um, so I have a higher bar with initiators and that's why I'm less willing to put someone like Devin Dotson in the lottery because I just don't think that he's going to get to that level that he needs to get to as a pull-up guy. Uh, and I do think that's interesting with, with someone like Tyrese Halliburton who has played, who played as a, as a lead initiator in college uh, this year, at least. But I think very few people, at least in the draft Twitter community, see him fulfilling that role in the NBA. He, I mean, he just doesn't have the ability to compromise a defense like that, and I don't think people buy his his pull-up. Uh, I think most of us probably do have faith in him as a spot-up guy uh, and and playing in, in like a weird like linking Lonzo-type role. But, I mean, if Halliburton's pull-up comes around, do you think that he could be a true lead initiator? And, and I mean, if that guy you know, can threaten a defense, I mean, he's, he's such a virtuoso passer, um, the, the possibilities with him get very interesting too. I mean, yeah, I do think that's certainly a consideration. If, if Halliburton's like actually able to hit pull-ups out of the pick and roll, I mean, he's going to be pretty devastating offensively because he's 
such a masterful passer, um, just manipulating defenses and hitting the role man and moving guys with his eyes and his body language. But like I said, I'm pretty skeptical of that just from like a mechanical point of view and uh, a reps point of view. And I mean, but talking about Halliburton, the, the other really important consideration is strength, which is just so, so poor for him. And looking at stars, um, almost every star has plus strength for their position. Which is which is something which is something that is super important that Halliburton completely lacks and and physical development is possible and we're going to talk more about that later in this episode as a, another avenue for for maybe Halliburton reaching a higher up, upside than a lot of us maybe think he will but yeah I, it's just tough for me to project him as this real threatening initiator prospect without without um without a reliable pull up and strength which which on the own are difficult to develop and. Having both of those things be be massive problems is a red flag for me. Um, just having two of these skills that are difficult to develop are, it's just hard to bet on them, especially skills that are linked like that. Skills that initiators need to to reach high degrees of goodness to be true valuable initiators over replacement. And but I'll say I think Halliburton does have more off ball value than a lot of guys just because he is one like functionally taller. I mean. He's bigger than a lot of these small guards, and if he can hit spot ups, which I think we all think he probably will, he can make some money attacking off the ball and maybe running some secondary pick and roll off off ball actions. But that's just a hard sell for me. A guy who you're taking in the top ten, um, a guy who's going to be like a, a tertiary kind of creator who's has lots of questions about his ability to get to the line and finish. He's got like an under twenty free throw rate. He he's really terrible with contact. So that's I mean that's a fixable thing, but certainly not an easy fix. And looking at upside, we want to look at which fixes are the easiest. And he has two fixes that are not easy by any means. So it's just more difficult to really be in on him, especially considering he's a sophomore too. So mm-hmm. yeah, should we shift now? I mean, we've talked a lot about a lot of guys who. Um... Either their outcome will, will shift a lot with their shooting. And I think that there are always a ton of those guys, both at the top and, and on the fringes, but um, some real like high, high leverage guys in this class uh, ha- have issues where if they can just rein in decision-making, which is, I know something that we've said time and time again is something that's hard to improve. Um, there are some guys that, that could be the single best player in the class if they ran that in. And of course the, one that immediately comes to mind would be Anthony Edwards, um, my top ranked prospect. And I think top five guy for most people, uh, uh, six, five combo off guard wing type guy at, at Georgia freshman. Um, and Edwards, his decision-making is very poor. He loves to take bad shots. Like, like he'll, he'll, the ball will swing to him for a wide open spot up and he'll have to dribble and then take a contested pull up like one step to his left because he just, he loves taking difficult shots. Uh, he, you know, misses passes all the time. He, uh, just like, doesn't really try. I mean, he's this just like freakish explosive athlete who can get, uh, downhill and finish at the rim. And yet he just chooses not to do that. Um, most of the time, his defensive decision making is utterly baffling. I mean, just like he'll he doubles at random times, going for these steals that he'll never get, taking himself out of the play. I mean, he's just a mess of a decision maker. And the point that I've raised is that I think with him, the the the, sa- the sort of saving grace is that the decisions will never be that complicated for him once he actually starts to pressure the defense the way he can, because it's just he's so compromising as a scorer. It's just simple kickouts and stuff like that. 
Um, the other thing that I'll say is that I actually don't think decision making is necessarily the biggest problem with Edwards because I don't think that his his tough jumper proclivity is necessarily just a matter of preferences. I think that a lot of it stems from his his weakness, his handle weakness, and his inability to gather the ball. Uh, I think that he actually probably cannot get downhill as much as you'd think just watching him at his most powerful moments because he is so explosive when when he can get downhill. But I think the handle is disturbed so easily. It's so loose. And I mean, he does flash, I think, like potent dribble moves, but they're not that frequent. So I think that if he could actually improve his handle and his ability to gather the ball strongly, that that would really take him to the next level in terms of compromising the defense. And then he just has those easy reads to make. Now, the problem with that is that improving handle is very difficult. I think it's something that we see. Uh, it's something that we mentioned with with Isaac Okoro is that in the last year, he's improved a lot in that regard. But it is something that's hard to do. Uh, we see it in the NBA sometimes, but as an older player, it can be hard. There are physical um limitations that come into play that can be really hard to see uh so i don't know if it's necessarily a good thing that uh in my opinion like equally large limiter for him would be uh his handle but i do think that that's the case where to an extent we're probably overrating how much of the decision making is uh a problem with anthony edwards relative to uh his his very loose and and uncontrolled handle right and building off of that i think Another important consideration is that there's a good chance Anthony Edwards is just going to develop into a star-level difficult shot maker, which is another thing that most offensive stars are. Um, just guys who can just consistently hit difficult hit the kind of shots that Edwards loves taking. I mean, he's clearly not there yet. His percentages aren't the best, and a lot of these shots he'd be better off not taking. But if he can become a guy that is able to hit these ridiculous shots at a at a, a reasonable clip, that's another avenue to stardom. I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Middleton, who's a less than spectacular decision maker and a less than spectacular defender, but has really found himself contributing star value this season because he just doesn't miss. Like, he he hits everything. And I think Edwards is a guy who can definitely get there. I mean, a, a guy who can be so good of a shot maker, such a great shot creator, that the decision making is less inhibiting. But then on, on the flip side of that, you have guys like Zach Levine, who is also a star-level difficult shot maker, but he's so poor as a decision maker and as a defender that it doesn't really matter that he's it's hard for to value him as a positive player on a winning team. And that's a, that's going to be the thing to measure with Edwards is just the degrees of goodness or badness that his that his decision making and defensive ability um, kind of reach. And like I said, I think I think uh, Edwards is probably safer than he gets credit for because. Um, uh, like an important consideration is that guys who have multiple ways to hit high-end outcomes are going to be safer than guys who can't. And Edwards has multiple avenues to hit really high-end valuable valuable outcomes. It's can he improve his decision-making and his defense to a level where he can thrive as like a secondary-ish creator? Can he improve his difficult shot-making to the point where it's one of the best in the league and he can provide value even despite his decision-making and defensive flaws? Even also, I've talked about it before, but a guy who's going to be able to do more than he gets credit for off-ball is just this excellent cutter with with good timing combined with his freakish athletic tools, um, just compromising defenses that aren't paying attention to him. So Anthony Edwards is looking at those things and like, you said the handle is obviously a huge concern if you just look at his his dribbling paths a lot of them are really rounded he doesn't take straight lines of the basket and I don't think that's because he he doesn't want to I, I think that's because he probably can't he just doesn't really have the handle to get low and control the ball in traffic 
which which causes him to sort to going around defenses, which kind of destroys the angles that his powerful athleticism creates. And sometimes he can still make it work with a crazy difficult finish or just plowing through a guy because he's that type of athlete. But uh, in the NBA, when freakish athletes are more common, he's not going to be able to do that. So having these are difficult skills to improve handle and decision making but they're ones that can really make anthony edwards a kind of game-changing player if he can get to a level where they're functional or even beyond that yeah i think the guy who's more purely uh his his outcomes really swing on decision making would be kyra lewis uh point guard at at alabama um because kyra is blindingly fast uh can get to the room whenever he chooses to um but can't really finish there uh his shot I think we, we probably buy it uh, enough, at least. I think that he has enough of a threat of a pull-up uh, to be viable. But I find his decision-making to be really bad. Uh, he just, I mean, he he takes bad shots. He misses all sorts of passes. Uh, again, with, with him, it, it should be easy. He should be compromising the defense so much that um, that the, the fruit should, should hang really low for him. But I haven't found that he really drives offense the way you need an initiator too um and he has he has all sorts of of body issues also with being very weak uh granted he is while being a sophomore he is so young that he was literally not eligible for the draft last younger year younger than me it's scary yeah. <laughs> yeah uh so kyra i think a lot of it swings on on decision making but if he can rein that in i mean he could easily be among the the very best players in the class yeah and i will defend kyra here and i believe his decision making has gotten better as the season progressed i've watched a little bit of him recently kind of reevaluating myself and i've moved up on kyra quite a bit in the vanderbilt game not sure if you watched it his decision making was pretty good um relative to to some of the older games that he's played like i remember vividly a game like the unc game where he missed quite a few passes and a lot of i think they're going down still there but going down and just uh, like a, a guy who's going to get to the rim as much as he is, is going to have um, more open passing windows and is going to have an easier time passing than a guy like, I don't know, um, just any player with a poor first step. Um, so just, I, I think that's an encouraging development point too. His in-game reps aren't going to be as strenuous because he's going to have more avenues to pass. Through. And I think that's a consideration for his passing improving because he's he's kind of a weird passing prospect because there aren't a lot of guys who are so like technic who are so like crafty with with these live dribble ambidextrous skip passes and he's got all those but then he's he'll miss um not like super advanced but more complex pick and roll reads he'll throw he'll have pretty open passes that he's inaccurate and because of that inaccuracy the advantage is gone and i'm curious how fixable those skills are relative to the passing acumen that he already shows because he has some passing tools that are incredibly valuable and incredibly promising just like the technical ability to make passes with both hands the ability to pass off a live dribble hairpin trigger pass hairpin trigger skips to the weak corner and things like that so i'm, I'm really interested to track him as a passer going forward that's really the key development that is the key development here i'm the ability to increase his vision and to improve his ability to make those advanced reads because he's going to get plenty of simple reads too with with the way he's going to pull defenses to himself at the rim like i said the finishing he is not a good finisher finishing a flat 50 percent at the rim which is really poor for his volume i mean he has so many i mean besides this being weak and that being an inhibitor he has this issue where he jumps consistently too early and he'll and he'll have and he'll be off balance because of it, and that's something that's fixable. But 
I, I suspect quite a bit of it is going to stem from a lack of lower body strength because he has really no vertical pop in the half court. I mean, he can get up in, in the open floor, but everyone worth their salt can. So, I mean, Kyra is a guy who I'm relatively in on just because that first step as being as elite as it is, is just such a rare, a rare tool and one that's so um, such a hallmark of these star level initiators and like you said i'm not like super in on the pull-up because but like he's his touch is good and he's shown enough um cap- uh capability there that i think it's reasonable that he's okay enough there but yeah so kyra's a guy who his development is gonna like you said depend a lot on the, the degree of his passing goodness yeah and he i like you mentioned he is a he's a weird passer because he is like technically he's very good at executing passes it's the conceiving of them that he that he's bad at so like if you gave isaac okoro's brain to kyra lewis you'd have a dominant passer um because he is so good at like transitioning from working off the dribble to executing a pass like like you said live dribble with both hands like it's, it's some of the the stuff that he does is really impressive but it's the mental aspect that isn't there. And the problem is that as a scorer, I don't think he can quite cover for bad decisions in the way that someone like Anthony Edwards can. Because when Anthony Edwards takes a bad shot, like he is such a skilled bad shot maker that he very well may make it. Um, you know, when if Kyra Lewis uh, plows into a guy at the rim and attempts to finish, like Anthony Edwards can hit a guy, like knock him back, maintain balance, and finish with either hand. Um Kyra Lewis cannot do that. When he makes a bad decision, it's going to be a bad outcome. Um, so that's, it, it, I think it really, for him, does hinge on the decision-making. Uh, but if he if he irons that out, I mean, he he could be a really, really good player. Um, yeah, I'll make one more point quickly on Kyra. I'm I'm actually, been I've, I've moved up quite a bit on Kyra. He's risen into my top 10. But I'll say um, his pick-and-roll game is also kind of underwhelming to me. I He's not as com- as complex and skilled as a pick and roll manipulator as you wish. He he really uses jail and things like that, and really manipulates screen angles, which which he really should be doing with a guy as quick as he could. Because if he becomes really advanced as a pick and roll operator, that's another avenue to just being so compromising with his speed. Because once he gets the slightest advantage on the defense, he's he's at the rim whenever he wants. So yeah, Kyra, a really interesting guy to, to follow his development and will be a good test case looking back in a couple years to see where he is, to see how he's developed, what is the cause of that development and what we can learn from it going forward. Should we talk about uh, weighing pre-college sample uh, specifically with respect to Cole Anthony? Yes, let's do it. Um, I think as we've been learning and as both of us learned last year with guys like RJ Barrett and Cam Reddish, that pre-college sample is important and context is important. And both of us are, I think, relatively in on Cole Anthony. I have him top five still. Um, I don't know yeah, I've got him, but... I've got him top 10. Uh, he might make a late surge again for me. I'm going to go back and watch. I've watched a couple of these games since he returned from injury, but I'm going to, I'm going to give him, a few more shots, especially I think I've heard the Duke game was really good right. from a passing and standpoint. Right, and I was planning on talking about that in later in the show, but we might as well just cover it now since we're talking about Cole anyway. And his decision-making and his passing was a lot more reminiscent of pre-college Cole Anthony, which in, in FIBA and in AAU, he clearly had issues as a passer with his decision-making. He'd take some maddening shots, but it was also clear that he was very talented as a passer too in the pick-and-roll. And, 
it just was a better decision maker than he's shown at North Carolina. And in the Duke game, even though his stat line was underwhelming, he had like something like nine points and three assists. I don't know, but his his decision making was consistently excellent. I mean, in the second half, it waned a little bit and he reverted to some of his old tendencies. But I think he might have only taken like one bad pull up in the first half and he made it. And second half, there was some more, but he was consistently not forcing things. He had a couple impressive pocket passes, and it's just so difficult with his team context. And I feel like team context is something that people generally overrate the importance of, but not with this UNC team, because it's so, so frighteningly bad for Cole. I mean, he just has no spacing, nobody else to pressure the defense. I mean, he's threading pocket passes to Garrison Brooks, who's surrounded by two other teammates because they're stationed on the block. I mean, you're not going to get assists that way, and you're not going to get numbers that way. But especially in the Duke game, he showed the ability to that he has that pocket pass that he can pressure the defense with. And like you said, the burst is a big issue, but I think both of us believe that he's going to be a pretty great pull-up shooter, and he's going to have that threat to be able to defenses and once he can his decision making is going to look a lot better because in like just going back and watching his FIBA his FIBA U18 I think it was where the floor was a lot more space I mean he was getting to the rim making making these passes that had a lot of us ranking Cole number two or number one on a lot of on a lot of people's boards I think some people had him like 1.1 in his own tier which which neither of us bought but smart people did and there was reason to buy that so I think looking at a guy like Cole Anthony um who's who's objectively struggled quite a bit this season just weighing things like team context and pre-college sample is important because in the nba um basically any situation he lands in is going to be more favorable than unc who is going to have more space to operate and make plays so it i mean cole anthony just with the level of this level of pull-up shooter that we think he can be i mean the decision making i believe in the passing is better than he's shown in college and that's a real reason to rank him highly still yeah, I think that I do want to make clear for people who don't follow high school basketball or, or AAU that Cole was inarguably a dominant player at those levels. He was yeah. the best player uh, at Nike EYBL, uh, probably like, I guess, Tyrese Max, who was, I guess, in his tier um, for their year. But Super Cole, Cole was utterly dominant. He's like a 90% free throw shooter on high volume, which is something you do not see for guys that age. Um, he really was a truly dominant player. The thing that concerns me is that Cole was was number two on my board coming into the year. Um, and I thought that, that I had him and Anthony Edwards in their own tier. Uh, but in the first sentence of my, of my write-up on my board, I wrote that his burst, uh, at the very least, wasn't a strength. And... I think that little did we know. Yeah, relative to the athletes he was playing against, then it looked like okay, it's it's not a strength. He's not explosive horizontally, um, but I think it turns out that his burst is actually really bad. Like I don't. Yes, the circumstances are bad at UNC. They're, they play two bigs. Um, it's it's a problem, and he's been injured a lot of the year. However, I think that the burst is actually bad. Um, like you said, I do buy him as a as a pretty high level pull up shooter and and spot up shooter. Um, so I think that he's he's still a, a compelling player from from an NBA standpoint. But I'm kind of out on him as like a a true initiator type. I think he's a guy that you're going to want next to someone else, which is why like the idea of Cole Anthony with with a team like the Celtics, where they have um, they have Jason Tatum as a, as a guy who's who's going to be your primary going forward. Uh, Cole Anthony is a really appealing fit. But I think that with him, it's just going to be a matter of finding a team where you're not 
you're not drafting him to be the guy, um, which is why he's fallen behind guys like LaMelo Ball, Killian Hayes, uh, even someone like like RJ Hampton uh, for me. Um, but I, I think that we should consider what Cole looked like before this year. I am going to go back and watch some of his EYBL games uh, and, and really familiarize myself again with a guy who was genuinely very dominant at that level of play because we've seen, I think, in the NBA that, that guys who find themselves in weird circumstances for what is just 30 games of college basketball for most guys, and in Cole's case, what, like 15, 18, something like that, um, so I think that it's worth considering Cole's pre-college sample, although I am I am going to weight the UNC sample pretty heavily and and certainly not have him uh, as the same uh, like stature of prospect as I did coming into the year, which was top two. Yeah, he's played 22 games this year, which is not great. And I will say, I think I've honestly gotten a little bit higher on his defense as watching him at UNC because that was something I was pretty iffy on in watching him pre-college but he's got quite a bit of issues he's got quite a few issues there um just mental lapses um technical stuff like pick and roll defense but just a a guy who's a freshman in college who is legitimately strong for his position he's pretty monstrous functionally um as just a strength guy and who shows legitimate um aptitude as a defensive playmaker i think those are two really valuable things to look at and just understanding that most Freshmen, especially ones as high usage as Cole, are going to have struggles as a team defender, especially. And from a projection standpoint, um, I think he projects as a positive defender, at least in my opinion, um, at least at his position with strength like that and playmaking ability like that. I don't, I don't know what your take on that is, but I was gonna, I, I was gonna make one more point about this segment. Are there any other guys um, who you would be interested in, based on the pre-college sample, who have disappointed this year? I mean. A guy that came to my mind was Wendell Moore, who I don't think either of us were as high on coming into the year as some other people, but he's certainly a guy that we're going to be interested in tracking next year, who's just disappointed this year. But, I mean, one of the youngest players in the draft, um, clearly pretty toolsy with uh, promising free throw percentage. So, yeah, any guys you want to talk about there? Well, I just quickly to address Cole's defense, I'm a little less optimistic. I like the flashes of, of playmaking for sure, but he's like not very good laterally and, and like does not really know how to defend point of attack from like a navigating screen screen standpoint. And he, he loses guys off the ball all the time. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that he is a moderately interesting defensive prospect. I would not bet on him being a positive. However, um, guys, I mean, the Duke guys, both Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore, I do think are interesting. I still am kind of interested in Hurt in that uh, he, is, he is, the shot has, has been there. The shot has, has totally been there. And he showed a lot more ancillary skills at lower levels. Uh, I think a big problem with him is that he is so skinny and that we should have given more credence to that, I think, because it was something that showed up at lower levels. And when the athletes get bigger and stronger, it was in hindsight, pretty obvious that it was going to be more of a problem, but Hurt is still a guy that's interesting to me. Wendell Moore, like you mentioned, the thing that's weird with him is that one of his major selling points was, Oh, he's this like hyper elite free throw guy. Um, and now he, he the free throw percentage has, has plummeted and he like isn't even taking threes in the limited minutes that he does play. Nonetheless, like you mentioned, he was the youngest guy of this class um, among like high level recruits. Uh, so I think that he's definitely worth monitoring for next year. But I, I've lost more hope on him than I think yeah. on, on Hurt. He is still shooting 80% from the line, which is 
not. Oh, I thought it. I thought no, it was worse than that. No, he's shooting 80 percent on sixty-seven attempts, which is okay. pretty good. Uh, like I said, four for nineteen from three. He's not taking them. He's he hasn't really been that great on defense either. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a guy that we're gonna want to monitor definitely going into next year. So why don't we move on to our second to la- our our second to last one here, which is which is a nice segue from Matt Hurt is guys who guys who have to develop physically in some sort to survive. And there's quite a few of these guys that like we've been harping on this whole podcast, how important functional strength is. And there's a lot of guys who lack that, but would probably be very good NBA players if they had that. And the obvious one here is Lamella Ball, who many people, myself included, have as the top prospect in the draft. We talked about this in the first episode, but it was undeniably just so poor physically. I mean, his core strength, is non-existent. His balance is terrible. He's totally contact averse at the rim. And because of his lack of core strength and lower body strength, he has no burst. So he, I mean, he's a guy who could easily flame out of the league, just not being physically good enough, but he's another guy who's so special as a passer and shows slashes of pull-up shooting where he could be special there that if he develops physically, if he can get in an NBA weight room and build his core strength and his lower body strength, to even an adequate level that he could provide some value in the NBA. So, yeah, I, I don't think we should go too deep on LaMelo because we did talk about right. him, like you mentioned in episode one. Uh, but I, something that's worth considering is where he ends up because a team like Golden State kind of famously like built up Steph Curry's uh, core to the point where it really unlocked like his range and, and um, enabled him to have you know some of the greatest seasons we've ever seen. Uh, so I think it is interesting in a, that specific example because, I mean, theoretically Golden State could draft LaMelo Ball, but... Uh, in the sense, just in general, thinking about matching teams with um, with players based on what they're capable of developing. I mean, that's something that you really have to consider. If you're a team that, you know, if you really believe in your ability to build a guy's core strength and to fix a guy's balance, then LaMelo Ball should be at the top of your board. Because if you can fix those things, I mean, he is a guy that has, I think, franchise changing potential if you if you can do those things. Absolutely. And just like segueing to another guy who I think is lower down on both of our boards for his physical limitations, but a guy, um, I think Alexej Pokusevsky, something like that, um, plays that, in... That's definitely not how you that's pronounce definitely it. not right. Um, Poku, uh, Poku will call him, plays in the Greek second division, who is just this legit seven-footer who shows flashes of functional handling and passing and shooting, but is just so physically incompetent that, I mean, he really struggles offensively in the half court in the Greek second division. That's a, a red flag and a half. But he's a guy who, if, if if you trust your strength and conditioning program, you can put on 20 pounds of muscle. That That's a freakishly good investment. So and that's another just talk, talking point about upside is upside for him is definitely far away, but there's a pretty conceivable path to being a good NBA player, even if that path is very difficult to reach. So. Yeah, I think Poku is a very uh, theoretical player. Um, I don't think that he can do anything in the half court. Uh, but I also have not seen that much, and I have like five games of his saved on my computer that I need to watch. Uh, so I, I won't talk about him too in too much depth. But just as a guy who, I mean, yeah, he's seven feet tall, and he can legitimately handle the ball and and shows flashes of a pull-up. Uh, yeah, I mean, that that in this class, that could be a very interesting proposition. I think he's a very theoretical player. But uh, I am, at the very least, he is interesting among a class of guys who are fairly boring. So I do look forward to watching him some. A guy that I do buy a lot, though, is um, Patrick Williams 
at FSU, like a six, nine enormous forward. Uh, he's, he's insanely young, a guy that I thought in, in AAU was boring and unspectacular. And now I am completely um, turned around on that. Uh, but the, his physical problem is, is a bit unusual, I would say relative to, to most guys, because he is a, a big, strong guy, but he, his movement is really weird. And I've talked about this with with Zach Milner early in the year when we were first watching him, how we really, really liked him. We liked him uh, intellectually, how he was making plays as a team defender. He flashes um, even plays as as a creator where he'll run pick and roll and he can deliver some nice passes. He he'll shoot like an elbow pull up. Actually, the the most recent game I watched, uh, I think it was Louisville. He he took a pull up three. Uh, and this is a guy who's who's six nine and a really quite dominant team defender and insanely young who is, you know, trying pull up threes. That's exciting in 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 this class especially. But his movement is bizarre. It's it's hard to even explain beyond being clunky. And uh, our our genius friend Polar uh, says that he thinks that it's traced to a muscle imbalance where he and you can you can see this pretty clearly that his his quads are incredibly developed. And then his calves are incredibly underdeveloped. Um, and it, it leads to just weird change of direction. It leads to, frankly, scary plants where his, his lower his lower leg will be planted and his upper, his upper leg will be moving. And, and you're getting a lot of like, internal rotation on that knee, which is very scary from an injury standpoint. Um, but if you're a team that thinks that you can really work with his lower body and fix that and make him a more mobile player because right now I'm very in on Patrick Williams as a lottery pick even with these mobility concerns basically being defensively a straight four just because I I love his defensive impact and I I think I do buy him as a spot-up shooter at the very least um but if you're a team that thinks you can turn him into a more mobile player he gets to be a very exciting proposition Right, and I do also buy him as a lottery guy in his current state like you do without projecting that development because I there are some people who are very concerned about his about his foot speed as for his defensive projection. I think both of us are concerned but less concerned because of how great he is as a team defender. And he has the recovery tools, um, just the IQ and the length and the vertical pop to kind of make up for that, make up for getting burned at times on the perimeter. I think, like you said, in that same Louisville game, there's a play where – I think it was David Johnson blew by him, and like the, the the slow hip turn was obvious, but he but he jumped off of one and spiked the shot off the backboard, and that's the thing that Patrick Williams is going to be able to do. I mean, he's going to be a good interior defender. Like he's he's pretty huge for even a four, like for a wing, even a four. He's gonna he's gonna make good rotations and get blocks. He's got like almost a six block percentage this this year, and he's a legitimately good rim protector at his size. And I think both of us um both understand how valuable team defense is and value it more than on-ball defense positionally. And so Patrick Williams as a defender is a guy who I'm pretty enticed with, t- enticed for without the, without the, um, without the, uh, the movement. But, I mean, he has functional strength down, which I think is probably going to be more difficult to develop than a muscle imbalance because you can isolate, develop the calf muscle. I mean, I, I'm no biomechanic and I have very little in-depth knowledge of how this works, but if the team is confident in their strength and conditioning, this seems like a more fixable issue than a guy like Lamelo, who's just incompetent everywhere. And like I said, for the offense, I think it's pretty. It's hard to not buy his shot. I mean, he's shooting eighty-four percent from the line. I mean, that's kind of that's pretty great, even if the the, the three-point volume is not there. And he's comfortable taking pull-ups at like the the youngest American player in the draft. Seems pretty likely that he's going to shoot relatively soon in his career. And like I said, a guy with this shooting, 
the ancillary the ancillary skills and this team defensive potential at his size and age like that's a lottery pick and maybe even more so yeah i've i've got him on the i might have him 10th i've got him on the fringe of the top 10 at the very least i need to do some uh, stuff he might be there too for me yeah, I, I just love watching him play. Um, and I think that a concern that some people have is that he's this one position four. But I, that doesn't really bother me because I think that he can be high impact in that role. I think that, like, I think he really is a dominant team defender. Although something worth considering there is the context of playing at FSU and how it might be a case where he's not actually that level of basketball intellect, especially, in, like, consider that his teammate Devin Vassell is, I think we we would agree, the best team defender in the class. Yeah. And so it starts to look, and, and I mean, this is not a new thing for FSU producing these really strong team defenders. So I think it's worth considering that perhaps Leonard Hamilton is is really maximizing these guys in a way that won't translate. But it's it's tough to know then if that if this is now just a, a learned skill that that um Patrick Williams has. I think that he's a pretty intelligent guy. He shows off, you know, instinctual moments. Uh, and like you mentioned, really dominant interior defender. And for a young guy, incredibly skilled there. Like he he gets vertical um and really like I think like angles guys off well. So I I adore Patrick Williams. And I think that if I think he's a very good prospect without this physical uh issue being addressed, and it is a very, very, very interesting prospect if he can figure it out. Yeah, but um Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yep, that was going to add to the Florida State team defense point. I mean, they're they're always loaded with team def- team defenders. Even like like Raquan Gray and Trent Forrest are both pretty great there. So it's just going to be interesting to see how much Leonard Hamilton, even next year, like they're going to have Scotty Barnes. So like that's going to be unbelievable to watch. So tracking that is going to be important not only for Patrick Williams, Devin Vassell, but looking at the future guys to go to Florida State and really analyzing maybe their past tape because, like we said, Patrick Williams was kind of boring in AAU. So. Is that a red flag? I don't think it's something to be too concerned about, but if he ends up in the NBA not being the team defender we think he is, it's going to be something to look at in the future. Yeah, I mean, just uh, as an aside, I'm not worried about Scotty. Like, if Scotty's a dominant team defender there, I'll buy it because Scotty is a dominant team defender already. In general, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we have that prior information with him. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see with Vassal. And, and part of that, it will be hard to evaluate because, you know, maybe they end up somewhere where, uh, probably less in Pat's case, but in Vassal's case where a wing slash guard like him is less enabled to take the risks that he takes at FSU and maybe he'll look more muted. I mean, I think we've seen that with Zion to an extent where, uh, you know, he was this crazy defensive playmaker in college and he's in a more constrained role now. And I don't think that that, uh, those instincts are gone now. They're just muted by his role. So I don't want to overreact too much, but yeah, I mean, if Vassal and Pat are both really seem to no longer be like greatly diminished, team defenders then i'll be concerned but uh i mean look like john isaac is the is the only other like huge prospect to come out of fsu and before he got injured he was probably the defensive player of the year yeah um so i'm, I'm not too concerned about that i think it's a worthwhile point and something worth considering and generally worth considering what um college programs are good at at teaching guys to do and it's something worth monitoring for sure uh especially with like i don't know like uh Texas Tech seems to keep producing these like wingy guys who can't really shoot yet find a way to be very good college players. And it hasn't worked out so well with, with Zaire Smith and Jarrett Culver yet. So, I mean, we'll see, you know, that could be very relevant for like Terrence Shannon or, um, you know, uh, 
So I think it's it's something worth considering just what college programs are good at teaching guys to do in conjunction with the thing that we were mentioning earlier about considering what your team is good at developmentally when you're pick when you're you know assembling your your board and and actually making selections. Uh, should we talk on the on the notion of context about competition level? Yeah, or we'll there... quickly. Yeah, we'll quickly mention it. And I think the big guy here is James Wiseman, who is super split. Obviously, many on draft Twitter are totally out. Some are in the middle. Mainstream likes him quite a bit. And competition level is a thing because, I mean, he, he's played three games of college basketball, and that's obviously not his own fault. But he we haven't seen him in high-leverage competition really outside of one game against Oregon, which is not enough to build an opinion on but just basing basing off uh, what we know from his high school and AAU tape he was he was he had moments of domination with just his sheer size but he wasn't as dominant as he's projected to be i mean offensively his decision making is not good and he's not as skilled as he may have to be and defensively he's just so incredibly jumpy on defense technically he's not great he moves slow in pick and roll defense so he's a guy that without the certainty of high competition, it's just really difficult to bet on him excelling in the NBA. I mean, he's young and has time to develop, but it's difficult to buy him as a high-level prospect without any sort of really high-leverage tape on him being dominant. So, Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many things that we could have picked out as a swing skill for James Wiseman. All of them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, co- the competition level that he dominated for, for really for two games, because he honestly was not very good in that Oregon game. Like, I think the final stat line looked okay, but he, like, he was not good in that game. Yeah. Um, and then the two teams that he did dominate were, like, fringe D1 teams. Uh, and then in, in, in high school, he would get beaten badly when he played against other top centers. Like, he had really bad showings against, I think, Isaiah Stort, against Oscar Shibwe. Like, it was... He had a really bad track record of going up against uh, sort of NBA level bigs, uh, and that's really concerning. Um, and you mentioned the movement. I mean, his short area movement, I think, could be picked out as as like one of the biggest swing skills in the class. Because if if that is a thing that's viable, then he could be a really high level defender. But I don't buy his short area movement at all. Like he no. he can't turn his hips. He can't he can't slide. Like he covers large distances incredibly well. Like he's very fast in a straight line. But um, yeah, the short area movement is is a huge swing skill. I mean, the shot I think is a, is a swing skill for him. But in those three games, he did play a lot stronger than he did in, in a lot bigger and stronger than he did in high school. And you know, maintaining that is a huge swing uh, skill for him. So I mean, he's a really really tough eval. I, he's definitely someone I'm going to go back and watch a bunch of EYBL on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just like throw my hands up in the air at James Wiseman. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be the team drafting him. I'll just throw him in the mid twenties and say good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should we should we talk a little about Grant Riller sure, we also? Can quickly mention him. So Grant Riller, just this special scoring prospect with just the most incredible burst and driving technique and pull up game handle, even some great vision. But the question is, the CAA is just so bad defensively. But I just it's not as big of a concern for me because I mean, even against better teams defensively like VCU against against Oklahoma State, he the burst didn't disappear. I mean, that those incredible rim flashes weren't gone. But I think like I'm not sure how much to consider it for Grant Miller. What do you? I'm, I, I struggle with that. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I struggle with it too. I think the burst is is real. It's um, it's so overwhelming. Uh, he just is, is like a remarkable athlete. Uh, 
I think maybe the finishing won't be as potent as it is. Because, I mean, Grant Riller last year, this year he took a bit of a dip, but like the last two years had been like a 62% on twos overall. Uh, and these are like all self-created and he takes pull-up uh, twos as well. He's just like a really insanely, absurdly dominant finisher. Like he he might be the best finisher in college basketball independent of position. Like he might just yeah. like without accounting for for size or anything, be the single best finisher in college basketball. He is that freaky. Um, but I think it's worth considering that he plays a very low level of competition uh, where he can really dominate athletically and where, yeah, the defense is not good. I mean, I, I will say against top 100 teams, granted only seven games, he's shooting uh, 23 to 35 at the rim, 66%, and almost 56% on two. So still pretty good, like considering his volume and usage. So I don't think it's the thing we could have. I'm fairly optimistic on Miller just having high end outcomes as, as this offensive stud. So, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we get into um, some guys who have popped for us yeah. recently? It's getting pretty long, so we'll go through this. Um, the, your first guy, you want to go? Sure. Uh, I'll do Scotty Lewis first. So I watched a couple Florida games recently, and man, Scotty Lewis, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what to do with that guy defensively because he'll have these moments where he'll like get into a stance and his lateral movement is beautiful, and then he rises up because he is a crazy vertical leaper and will just destroy a shot and like maybe kill a person. Um, but I, he's the guy, the prospect I've seen back cut the most this year. Like he doesn't, it's almost as if nothing but the ball exists and he is just staring at it the entire time. Um, and then offensively, I forget which of the games it was in, but he did have like one nice possession where he attacked a closeout and had a, a solid kick out. It was Kentucky. Yeah, and and that was the thing I was hoping that we'd see from Scotty this year. Like I was slightly optimistic because in high school he was always such a mess offensively because he had the ball in his hands and he was dribbling around and taking impossible pull-ups and making terrible decisions. Uh, and I thought this Florida team would be really good and he would just be in a very like strictly complimentary role. And he hasn't really done that. He's still been jacking terrible shots and missing them and not fitting into a role. And he's just like not all that compelling to me. I just don't think that he has it mentally. So he has all of these, these tools, like he can sort of shoot and he is a like truly crazy vertical leaper. Um, I think something that people are underappreciating is how weak he is uh, just generally as an aside on his, on his physical ability. But yeah, he's a guy that, that sounds so much better than he is because I think mentally he just doesn't have it. So he's dropped like pretty far for me. I'm not sure where you're at. I think I have him at like the in the mid second at this point, like firmly beyond I have behind him 49th. Yeah, that's about where I have him. I've got him like around 45, I think. Uh, so like firmly behind his teammate Keontae Johnson, for example. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Scotty, he is he's frustrating and confusing, and at I honestly want fun. What? At the same time, it can be so much fun. Oh, he can be very entertaining, and I, like he does crazy stuff athletically. But I feel like he could honestly benefit from another year of college where it seems like his star has even fallen in the mainstream, even though like, he was a guy that people were touting as a lottery pick coming into the year, which was always, I think, insane um, because he just didn't have any sort of creation ability like that. But 
if he can come back and really fit in as a complimentary guy, like he's now shown some flashes of, uh, I would be kind of intrigued. But as it stands, I mean, I just don't think that this is a guy who's going to be a, a positive NBA player. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of people make the case for him based on his shooting projection, which I didn't realize how good of a free throw shooter he was. He's shooting almost 86% this year at the line, which is quite good. Um, but we talked about this before, but being an NBA wing requires more than spot-up shooting, and he just has none of those ancillary skills. He can't really dribble. He's a terrible decision-maker. He doesn't make difficult shots. He's not great at getting to the rim. And just being so debilitating offensively, it's hard to buy in. Even if he is like a pretty elite, elite athlete, he's one of the five best athletes in the class, surely. I mean, he just does some stupid things. I mean like you said, I, I think his intelligence on defense is probably overstated because he can just cover with tools. But I mean, I don't have much to say outside of what you covered. I think he's pretty not super inspiring to me just because of how bad offensively he is and his IQ limitations on defense. So, Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a frustrating player uh, at times entertaining, but I think a guy that, that I'm out on as, as really an impact player, um, which is disappointing because I think there was there was some chance that he would fit really nicely into a complimentary role, but I, I just I don't think he has it. All right, so I'll go on to my first guy, who is Tyshawn Alexander, who is not someone I really expected to talk about, but I threw on the Seton Hall uh, Creighton game, mostly to watch um, his teammate uh, Zagorowski, I think, uh, point guard. And I, I came away super impressed by Tyshawn Alexander, who's just this – outlier elite um defensive foot speed guy i mean he 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 shut down miles powell pretty much all game chasing him around screens and miles powell is quite spectacular uh, off ball mover crazy shot maker and he still made some ridiculous shots because that's what he does but tyshawn alexander was getting through his screens all game and you know there was one play where like powell had an insanely smart like re- path change and he beat him but generally like even on the ball he was stonewalling him despite being pretty weak i mean just having that crazy ability to to beat guys to their spots and mirror drives and offensively he was also a pretty impressive game i mean he's quite good as a shooter 85 percent um has legit shot versatility hit some tough pull-ups uh some shots off movement and just like he, he's a pretty good passer flash some some live dribble stuff and this has like an, a kind of fringy guy to watch i mean the strength is a huge question for him as is the burst on offense but a guy who's that special with his foot speed defensively and who has that like who has that uh skill set to be kind of ancillary offensive guy is someone i'm gonna watch going forward so. yeah i've seen i think a little bit of one creighton game so i have no input on him all right, cool. So that was quick. Max, your next guy. Um. Okay. Yeah. My next guy was Arturs Koruks, brother of uh, Nets forward Rodions. He is a lot smaller. He's like a six-three combo guard, and uh, he's a lethal shooter. Like off the dribble, off movement. Really like beautiful mechanics. Great shooter. Uh. And then the question is: Is he an undersized two, or is he a, like a legitimate initiator? And if he's a legitimate initiator, he's a pretty interesting prospect. Um, and I have some hope that that may be the case, that some of the past so – we both watched the uh, Latvia against Argentina um, FIBA game. 
from this past summer and his passing in the game was pretty good. Like he was reading tags on the weak side and, and skipping the ball. He was delivering uh, like live dribble passes with his off hand, with his off hand uh, passing like overhead skips with two hands, like, like a lot of um, versatility as a passer capitalizing on his, on his really immense shooting gravity, like coming off handoffs. Uh, so I think that he was, he was pretty interesting in that game. A uh, guy I want to watch a bit more of, uh, if he if he doesn't have the juice to be a, a primary ball handler, he's probably not an NBA guy. But a uh, combination of like really lethal shooting and possibly having the um, the ability to be an initiator is, is an interesting combination. Yeah, and I I did watch a little bit of him last summer. I this was a good refresher, but I do remember him being a pretty impressive passer. I'm like you said worried about his aptitude as a creator. He had one play in that game where he um, like used the threat of his pull up like with a little head fake to fake the guy out, flash a nice change of direction, and hit the corner. And like mm-hmm. like you said, his passing and just decision-making in general were pretty awesome. But and, and he uses his size well as a passer, combines it with his pull-up shooting, off-movement shooting. Like you said, I mean, the burst is quite an issue as is the creation. Uh, but it, like if he's really that good of a passer and that good of a shooter, I mean, he's shooting this season all leagues uh, overseas play. He's shooting 40% from three on 5.67 attempts per game, um, like high 70s free throw shooting. That's pretty good. That's quite good for a guy his size and his age. So definitely going to be an interesting offensive offensive uh, initiator upside-y kind of swing prospect to, to track. Probably not someone who's going to enter the draft this year, I, I'd say, unless he gets significant traction, which he hasn't. Uh, so he's going to be a guy we're going to see develop over the next years overseas and in the future could definitely be a guy to monitor and look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to do one or should I do my last one? Uh, you can do your last one because, yeah. Okay. Um, my last guy, we are called the prep to pro uh, NBA draft podcast. I would like to emphasize that. So I am going to mention a high school player. Uh, Coleman Hawkins is a six, nine forward who plays for prolific prep. Uh, if you, if you know prolific prep, you know it because that's where Jalen green plays. One of the, the more famous uh, players in all of, of uh, high school basketball, but Coleman Hawkins is, is really good. Uh, he's an Illinois commit. Uh, he's got really beautiful mechanics on his jumper. It's just like super compact and smooth. Uh, he's got really deep range. He can handle the ball a bit. Uh, he's an interesting finisher. He's got like some flexibility where he'll like sort of contort around contests. And then he's really, he just like spins the ball home all the time. Uh, and he, he's got some passing vision. He can really see over the defense nicely. Um, probably not going to be a one and done at Illinois, but uh, a multi-year guy who I think will be really good. Uh, and just, he, I think he's not even a top 150 guy uh, on most recruiting services and is like totally a legitimate prospect. I, I find him very fun to watch uh, and a guy to monitor over the next like two or three years. Yeah. I have no Coleman Hawkins takes, did not know his name before seeing him on Max's Twitter. <laughs> and I'm, I'm insane, but not as insane, but not as insane as Max. I will say, that Illinois is going to be really fun for the next year or two. They have um, Andre Curbelo as well, who's pretty legit too. Uh, Kofi Coburn is probably going to be there next year too. I don't know about if Io is going to declare. Um, they're going to be a fun team to watch next year. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see more of Coleman Hawkins coming up. I'll see someone I'll definitely get to at least by the summer. So yeah. Um, that was episode three of the Preps Pro NBA Draft Podcast. We are on all streaming platforms now, um, so go check us out there, wherever is at your utmost convenience. Um, give us five stars, leave nice reviews, download, subscribe, all that. Follow uh, the podcast on Twitter, uh, Prep that is Prep number two Pro Pod. You can follow me at Ben underscore Pfeiffer underscore, and you can follow Max at Maxake Harlan. So anything else you want to add, Max, before we head out today? 
Yeah, uh, everyone be safe out there. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some basketball back soon. Yeah, um, so be safe. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend and see you later. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.